Welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 28 with James Bryce Lins, the VP of Business Development at Big Esports. And in this episode, we talk a little bit about a teaser that went out recently, but really try to drill down into what's it like moving from finance into the esports industry? What does the finance and investment space think about esports and the things that we're doing? And, and how do we build a better ecosystem for everyone, not only internally, but also how can we use external factors, investment, business and business people themselves to create some better structure and really help the industry grow as a whole. For those of you listening in as well, make sure you check out any of the show notes at bigesports.gg forward slash 28. In there, you can find any of the timestamps and topics that we talked about today. Enjoy. We've chosen PLE Computers as a supporter of Big Esports because they believe in supporting the growth of the market just like we do. What we're really excited to work with them with is a whole bunch of initiatives, anything from our coursework teaching people about how to open up their own esports startups or get a job in the industry or transfer from others, to creating live meets for people to meet together, to network and develop new partnerships and opportunities, to this online podcast as well. So PLE Computers is one of the largest online PC retailers in Australia, focusing on gaming and performance hardware. So you can check them out if you're interested in buying any products or purchasing a brand new gaming pc james welcome welcome to the studio mate how are you today yeah i'm good thanks for having me chris i'm pretty good pretty tired after last night's launch but exciting times right yeah fantastic do you want to give us a a little bit of an idea i guess before you introduce yourself about what exactly happened last night yeah yeah so let's just rip in straight away so last night we launched our gaming media brand shade crew which Details aren't too out in the open at the moment, but essentially, it's a play in the gaming influencer space where we've aggregated a handful of traditional influencers, mixed it with gaming creators, and created this hybrid concept, similar to that like 100 Thieves or FaZe Clan, but more geared towards mainstream media, where we believe the gaming industry is heading. Yeah, fantastic. So I guess getting straight into the the general podcast spiel, we always like to start off. Can you give us a bit of indication about your professional background and and where you were and and kind of how that led you to where you are today? Yeah, of course, of course. So, uh, I mean, the majority of my professional career has been spent in investment markets. So I come from about six or seven years of direct investment in Australian equities at Patterson Securities. So over that period of time, I was managing a client base, of course, but also exploring investment opportunities generally in the tech and high growth areas of the economy. And over the last decade, I saw the emergence of esports and gaming. And I really thought it hit an inflection point over the last two years where it's hit the mainstream. I mean, you've got people like Ninja, Nick Merckx, the bigger influencers who are gaining headlines across all the traditional news platforms over the last couple of years. And then, of course, you've got the branding and sponsorship deals, which are now chasing this ever-evolving industry. So to me, it was a no-brainer. I mean, the opportunity is extremely clear. And 
esports and gaming still being in its infancy or growth period, you know, there is a lot of areas where coming from a financial background, whether professional or business acumen, which can be added to the process, is where I find I add value. Yeah, fantastic. So I guess I want to focus at the start on the history and finance and investments and such. Can you give me a bit of around the grounds about any discussion that might be happening in that space? Like what's the general feel of esports? Is it more, um, you know, wait and see? Is it only the, I guess, for lack of a better term, progressive people that are interested in that space so far? Yeah, look, it's it's not so much wait and see for some people. For others, yes, it is. I mean, it all depends on what area the fun flows are coming from. You know, you've got a portion of the market who generally sit back and wait for business concepts and industries to mature before they make investment. And then you've got another portion which are targeting that high growth industry and they find themselves being immersed in esports and gaming you know, pretty quickly. Now, I mean, when you invest that early in a movement, there's a certain amount of risk that comes with it. And so what we saw was there were a lot of people throwing money at ideas that weren't necessarily going to work. And you get that with every industry, but esports in particular, you know, it's pretty apparent there's a big disconnect between people who know how to invest in it and people who are just trying to you know, ride the wave in a sense. And what are what are some of the major steps and this is like a super generalist question but what do you think some of the major steps that esports needs to take to have a lot more of shift of talk and attention towards it like i don't necessarily um want to pretend that it's going to be as popular as gold or silver or uranium in some stage right because it's always going to be some sort of niche but what's going to take it to be at least in the middle ground or the forefront of people's minds yeah look it's an interesting concept because Again, you've got the established players already, you know, Blizzard, Activision, Tencent over in China. I mean, you could even call Amazon a play because of their owning Twitch. You've got a developed side of the market and then you've got the blue sky area, which is where a lot of the funds are are flowing to, you know, whether it's in the team landscape or whether Mm. it's for individual organizations or as we're seeing an emergence of digital plays like Esports Mogul on the ASX, you know, these are the opportunities that will come up. But, you know, being in their infancy, there's a high degree of risk there. So there's always going to be a split. So I guess for you, let's talk a bit about your journey then taking from traditional finance space into esports where you sit today. You know, how did you first get exposed to the market? Where and where did the information come from? Yeah, well, it all started probably about, I'd say, one and a half decades ago when I was playing Counter-Strike in Bondi Junction at land parties. I was about 12, 13 at the time and it was pretty cool. You get this whole family vibe when you know there's twenty of you in a room, you know, ten on one side, ten on the other, and you're playing each other. You know, jokes are being made, good kills are being made. It's you know, it's a good environment. So I was interested from that area. You know, I've played games all throughout my life, whether they were sporting games like FIFA or whether they were strategy games like Age of Empires. But I guess I was first 
reintroduced to esports from a professional standpoint about about five years ago when we started to see the emergence of gaming tournaments um from there i started to do my due diligence and you know it's a quite a rich history you know working out that hey it's actually born from the you know the whole gaming global gaming industry was born from the tatters of the south korean economy after the asian crisis you know Mm. it's it's just interesting stuff to learn about and to see now how it's developed it, it it's unbelievable because a lot of people will say you know they'll look at it from an outside and say oh it's just another sport so in the sport you've got your audience on one side you've got the players on the other and in the middle you've got organizations like leagues teams you know managers etc with esports it's not like that the middlemen have been cut out and platforms like twitch Mm. have given a whole lot more power to the creators themselves now whether that will eventually dissipate and you'll see more involvement from the middle sections which i think will be a good thing because it introduces professionalism and Mm. some structure to it but at the moment, it's like the wild, wild west. You know, brands want direct exposure to the creators because the content is the real value here. It's eyes on screen. Yeah, one one way that I always like to describe and following the similar theme to what you're saying is people ask me if esports is like the dot-com bubble, the dot-com boom. And usually what I say is that the dot-com boom was there was a lot of money and there was a lot of people in the middle that were happy to take that money and provide a platform to, for them to reach people that they promised would come to the internet who didn't eventually, whereas esports is not the opposite, but it's different in the fact that there's a lot of money coming, wanting to come in from one side, whether it's brands, investors and such, and there's a lot of users on the other side, but it's the middle ground that's fl- that's flaky, that's unknown. People don't know how to connect that brands with the people. They don't know how to make money in the middle even. So even though there's money and users there, it's, it's a weird, it's a really weird issue. And I, I guess going back to... Um, you know, yourself as well and, and coming from finance into the market. The most common thing is that so many people in esports today, they want non-endemic interest. They want people from outside of esports to to learn a bit more. There's a lot of people on LinkedIn that are posting a lot of articles too. So for you coming from the finance market, thinking about yourself and, and those that you reported to in your last job, how do they like their information presented and where do they go to get their information? Uh, well, being a stockbroker, they like their information presented with free sandwiches would be my biggest hint but in all seriousness it comes in the form of an industry member or spokesperson being able to succinctly translate the message of the industry which is not this is what it is and here's an overarching view of it because i think people are becoming more aware of that Mm. it's more this is how you as a specific person or entity can be a part of it and i think that's a big part of the industry which is lacking support is the education and you know people providing transparency to the avenues in which organizations can become a part of this industry yeah and i mean you know as as identified in the intro you are a part of big now so you're working with us here on this side of things and that's that's a big thing that we're that we've implemented especially after you started working here is about instead of just going to a potential client or a new investor or brand and saying hey here's the scene as a whole what do you want to do it's going to them providing them a little bit of information about what the scene is 
but then really drilling down and saying, this is what I think you should do, or here's a specific example or a specific pitch that's pushed to that client or person, which actually pushes them to respond because I guess this is a part of my one-on-one mentoring as well. Um, that I do with a lot of people is is they come to me and say, hey, I want to get a job in esports. I went to the um, you know the head of ESL in Australia or the head of Gfinity or the head of Chiefs Esports Club and said, hey, if you've got any jobs, let me know. But it's putting the onus on them to do the research. It's putting the onus on them to understand who you are as a person, what your experience is in the market, identify their gaps and then place you in there. And these people are too busy. They've got so many other things going on. There's you know, a, a re-emergence of BMXing that's becoming popular that they could invest into. So you really need to give them a specific reason and you know, traditional marketing, a call to action for them to actually invest in the space. Mm. Yeah. So I, I guess yeah, it, just further, further to that. Yeah, I agree. You know, using a case study of some of the Overwatch teams, which we're, you know, talking to at the moment, it, it's quite difficult because they get in direct contact with companies, which, you know, they're interested in working on a sponsorship deal with, but the organization itself looking at the opportunity still needs to be taught about esports and there's a big gap there because Mm. you can't uh, there's just it's not the right style of introduction and you know conversation you could say we're based around well this is what esports is and this is why you should invest with me there's a conflict in that Mm. which is why we're pushing for big esports to be that third party which does the introduction to esports, identifies how the organisation would like to be a part of an esports team or league or player, how to enter the market, and for, with that strategy, place the money in the right place. And that is the gap in the market which we're filling. Yeah, and I guess to to back that up, usually what I tell people is that we're biased only towards esports, is that we're here because we see the potential in the market, and that's mm-hmm. that's why you know you and I both exist in this space is you know, workers in a startup and that's that's the fit that we'd like to take and we'd like to help grow the industry with because there's, you know, definite thing and rightfully so where people are startups, they're looking, you know, they've got funding, they're, they're looking to make some cash flow so they can be quite protective of their assets which is often just their contacts and in the end that can be detrimental not only to you but to the whole industry because the money, you know, when a brand comes in, others come in. If you look globally right now, you can see there's a big push in automotive there's been, you know, I, I can't remember if it was BMW or Mercedes who was the first mover. I think it was Mercedes. And now we've seen, you know, Mercedes, BMW, Subaru did a small activation a few years ago, but you're seeing Toyota, Honda, everybody's following in spades. Mm. So if you do that in Australia, if if Holden or Mercedes or such comes in here in Australia, every other brand is going to go in a meeting room. And I know this is going to happen because it even happens in the endemic space where the bosses then go, okay, why aren't we in that space? Why is Razor spending so much on esports and Corsair is not? You know, why is Thermaltake spending so much on computer modders and other people aren't? And that's what we've seen in the, in the you know, endemic and hardcore industry. There's no reason we can't see that in the esports space as well. Mm, I agree. Yeah, so uh, touching on um, investment once again, how can how can a startup founder minimize their risks? Like I've done a lot of podcasts in the, in the past talking about investment and such. And for anyone listening, make sure you go back to listen to season one where we talked to Nick Bobber from Tainer Mines, who's changed to Icon, and he talks about that a lot. And we also talked to Jim and Esso a lot about investment as well. So if anyone wants information on general esports investment, you can go there. But I guess, James, my question for you is, yeah, how can a startup founder minimize the risk? And what, what are the major risks for investors right now they're looking to kind of quell? Yeah, well, on both sides of the coin, right? You've got the startup founder 
who takes a lot of risk in terms of operations set up. Is it his own capital? Is he getting the right investors on board? Are they going to be supportive of his dream or turn around in a few months and say, hey, where's the cheats? So, yeah, I mean, we could talk about those individual risks, which sort of goes into the field of startup risk, which is a lot of different things. But Mm. if we move to the investment side, um, specifically related to esports, the main thing is to do due diligence and to have someone in your organization or consulting with your organization on making the right calls. You know, I use... The perfect example at the moment is you have external influ- having external investors just jumping on any opportunity that has esports in the title. And you see that with a lot of different themes. I mean, working on the ASX for the last five, six years, we definitely saw that. You catch a trend and all of the, I'll call it the followers, the sheep, will just jump in, you know, push valuations in the industry very high to a point where it's extremely overdone, and then you'll have this deflation period. And that works with the same as any market or any sort of industry over its maturity phase. So you'll have the beginning where the early adopters and the smart money gets in. You'll then have mm. the main the main stage of it with this growth and hyper growth where you see exponential movements in valuations and then you'll see a slow maturity in the industry uh, as it tops and then you'll have the deflation which always happens it happens in every single market whether you're talking about raw battery minerals or whether you're talking about you know afterpay or any payday you know, lending service, you know, these things come in peaks and troughs. So esports at the moment is still in exponential growth, but with that stage comes material risks. You need to do the due diligence. You need to have someone within the industry advising on your transaction mm. and you need to take your time. Yeah, and I guess that, that kind of takes me to talk a little bit about, you know, how you became involved in, in big and and kind of your role that you're playing today moving over from PSL into the market. So can you talk a little bit about, yeah, kind of how initially you got exposed to Big and, and what, uh, you know, talk for yourself and I guess talk up yourself as to what kind of benefits it, it brings, bringing in an outside person like yourself? Yeah, of course. So I, I guess, Chris, you and I, we met about a year ago, a bit longer yeah. than a year now, when you came into Playside Studios to do your esports introduction half day i believe yeah yeah at that period it was myself one of my early mentors mark galopoulos jerry sackis joe hashim and of course aaron passius and i think we sat in that room and we had a yarn to you what should have been two or three hours turned out to be five odd um from there we went away and we saw opportunity in yourself we thought gee, this guy knows a lot about esports. And I think over that meeting, you and I actually had quite a bit of back and forth because from that room, I I guess had quite a depth of knowledge about the sector. Mm. Um, and so we decided to invest in you because the opportunity there was pretty clear to us. Here's a guy who has been in the industry for his whole life. He knows 
everyone and about everything. He's a good, trustworthy bloke who has the right motives in going into this industry and someone needs to back him. So, <laughs> so that was us. And over the last year, we've worked together. You know, I've been more consulting with you on the strategy and where you want to take the company. You know, there's always there's always hurdles and a growth you know period where you know you're hiring staff, you're managing staff, you're also trying to develop business opportunities and manage the tail of workflow that comes with that. Mm. And you know, for over the last six months, I saw that, hey, you're getting all of these great opportunities, but maybe there is just something where I can add some value in providing some structure to the whole organization. So I made the leap about three months ago, although it was pretty hands-on a bit before then, and we really haven't looked back. We've restructured the business. We've tailored our service offering, made it quite clear. We've developed our case studies. We've onboarded a number of new clients and are exploring a number of blue sky opportunity and joint ventures with a couple of big partners around the Australian sporting space, not just esports, sporting. Mm. Um, if from there, we've also identified the new project, which is Shade Crew, which is extremely exciting. And that's been a big part of my role here as well. Yeah, The operational setup and the ongoing sales cycle development of that, which is essentially a media camp company. Um, <laughs> never thought I'd find myself being a media salesman. So... Those two parts of my role here is essentially providing the structure and operational support for everything while developing the sales cycle for both. Mm. And I've seen you shine into this role. One, because you're not running around all the time chasing your ass because you've got too many people to get back to. And two, because there's more structure. And you're learning how to delegate better, which is a key <laughs> skill every founder and manager needs to have. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, you know, for... For anyone who's been part of my mentoring or listened to this podcast or talked to myself for a while, generally it's it's not about it's not about doing this episode, you know, just to kind of talk about how great we are. Because I like to I like to talk about things from personal perspective and talk to people who've personally done things or give direct examples. And that's one massive thing that's that's been part of my courses for a while. And the really the message I'm trying to get across from this is the power of bringing someone who's knowledgeable but outside of esports into the industry. So, you know, this goes for brands when sponsors come from outside and they add the weight of not only their dollars but their um, the value of that brand accepting and, pr and promoting esports, but also the value of bringing employees into the space. You know, in Australia, we've seen people like Gfinity or companies like Gfinity bring on uh, general managers to CEOs like Dominic Remond, who comes from the traditional sports space, which is fantastic because, you know, as, as yourself, James, like being a, a VP of BDM here, it means that you're involved in a business sense and you're involved in operations and development of the business. The similar stage that Dom is involved in Gfinity, he doesn't have to necessarily be a subject matter expert. He has to understand the industry, but that's up to the people below him, his heads of marketing, his heads of sales, you know, strategy and consultancy and, and COO, et cetera, underneath him to really educate and push him on the market. He's there to make a company succeed and he's there to manage the staff and and you know make a successful endeavor out of it so you know i think that there's a lot of power here and we're seeing this happen a lot overseas where 
you know, traditional, I guess, industry people are coming into esports. Um, a few episodes ago, we talked to Anne Matthews, who's one of the co-founders of Fnatic. And, you know, she talked about that a lot as well. Talked about now, you know, she's hiring people who've got MBAs and she's hiring people who have master's degrees and PhDs, etc. Because now it's becoming a necessity in this space. Because if you're talking about serious capital, like people like 100 Thieves are raising, a $30 million round, you need some serious staff to back that up. And you can't just, you know, go playing around with passion there's passion can only get you so far and you know as a ceo that's often what you do as a startup founder is you have some experience you have some passion and you have some underlying skills whether it be amazing product development amazing design or just amazing understanding or people skills but then you really need these people around and underneath you to to help you push forward and you know as as kind of the I guess it's not an old adage, but as a very common thing I see right now is, you know, the startup founder doesn't always make the best CEO as well. So it's about finding the right people to fit within your business and not trying to necessarily be the control freak or the be all end all as, as the startup founder and get other people around you in the ecosystem to yeah help push things forward. Yeah, exactly. And look, I mean, kudos to you for comparing yourself to Elon Musk or to Steve Jobs. But <laughs> but look, I completely agree. Back to the point that they need, you know, people are hiring more professional people now. I completely agree. That's why I've come in. Mm. There's a fountain of knowledge, and there's ability to do things for special with specialist know-how. But the structure isn't there, and you find that in a lot of organisations. You know, there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. There is your gamers who are your traditional, you, you know. You're 15 to 30 are the people who are in the prime of their gaming lives. You know, no offense to anyone outside that bracket who's still killing it. Um, and then you've got the people who are investing and have experience in the organization side of it who are generally from higher up in organizations. And they're your mid-40s to 50s, maybe even 60s if you're a private investor. What you've got is you're missing the 30 to 40-year-old bracket which have had that 10 years prior experience in a professional landscape. Mm. And that's where I find myself, you know, being 30 years old with that professional experience, trying to bring that to the industry, which needs that to mature. Because that's the only real way which the industry as a whole can scale is through introducing professionalism and more structure to how things are done. You know, I look at, the influences in the gaming space at the moment, it's very cowboy-like and good on them. You know, They are at the front of the industry. They're groundbreaking. You know, these are the first guys who've really been able to stand out on their own mm. and uh, make a living out of esports. But from there, it sort of isolates the rest of the esports industry. You know, These guys generally not really interested in letting other people take a part of the pie and I get that I mean I really wouldn't but at the same time it needs to grow because from that you get trickle down into grassroots or from you know the larger industry you generally have more people being involved which you know adds momentum to the space you know don't get me wrong I've got nothing against these guys who are at the front of the industry but I think what you might see is over you know the next decade, the influencers and the key people in the space will become more involved in the companies themselves, whether it's as a runner, as they're running or part owners in it. Mm. But they'll also be more accepting of bringing more people under their wing. You know, it'll be less less self-centered in a way because they'll understand that to be 
a proper mature industry, you need more than just, you know, a top heavy earning bracket. You need the whole pyramid to be, you know, as healthy as possible. Yeah, and I think that's 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 a gap that you see in esports globally right now is there's some people that have done quite well and there's some people that are raising a lot of money, but yeah, it's still not mature enough to have a thriving mid-level industry or grassroots. You know, even if you use traditional sports as an example, there's not a proper set-up college model of people playing games right now. You know, it's it's more shifted towards the people who are, you know, valued at 310 mil like Cloud9, for example. And even if you look at that, the, the valuation difference between number one on the list and number 20 on the list is, is quite substantial. It goes from 310 million to 30 million, you know, in the matter of, of 10 or 20, you know, esports companies. And they're competing against each other on equal playing field as well. So, mm. yeah, do you find that's, that's part of a, you know, part of a developing market? And how, you know, how long does, um, you know, any, any similar type markets take to develop in traditional industries like this? Is it a, are we talking, you know, 20, 30 years before we see some, you know, proper stability? Oh, look, it all depends on the bar- – if you're looking at that from a macro view, it all depends on the barriers to entry. You know, to give you an example, you could use the Australian banking industry as an example. Mm. You know, we've got the big four. We've got a couple of regional banks, but you know, we don't really have anyone else under that. We've got a few people who you know, over the last 10 years have developed, whether it's MeBank or UBank, which is owned by NAB. Um, but they're not really given the grounds to compete yet. And I think we're seeing something similar at the moment with the bigger organizations reaching out and you know claiming a big stake of the real estate. But it's yet to be seen whether the smaller guys can actually break into it or whether there is a right way to do it. I'm not sure from my learning so far that that is through the traditional, you know, get an esports team and yeah, develop it through there. I'm not sure that's the right way to do it. I think it's through the creator space is the best way to do that. You know, create a network, a multi-channel network, develop your streamers, you know, as if they're a part of your own family. And from there, you then maybe split in, have a team that goes into, you know, goes into competitive tournaments. But that'll also be your influences. Yeah, and, and and in your opinion, what makes a what makes a team so attractive? Because the the very common adage for myself and and others who are heavily embedded in the industry, whenever an outside investor comes and talks, it's always straight away. And I don't I don't think I've actually had a time when this hasn't happened. Is investors come to me and said, I want to buy a team, or I want to buy a portion of a team, or invest into a team. So why is team at the forefront of everybody's mind? Uh, it it stems, I guess, to go back to the point I made earlier. It stems from not understanding the industry. I mean, I use the term white hairs in a non-offensive manner, but, you know, a lot of white hairs look at it and say, right, they look at the NRL or the AFL and they say, what do you want to, what would you want to do if you were in the industry and you want to be a team owner, you know, you want to be the Eddie Maguire, you want to be a team owner. Mm. But in esports, it's not so much the case. And I could go into this for hours as to be why it's not the case, but... It's just a traditional, you know, applying the traditional sports model to esports, which won't work. It's a different beast. Mm-hmm. It's, as I said before, it's audience to creator rather than audience to team and league. It's it's much more direct and we've got channels like Twitch to thank for that. Mm. Yeah, and it's all, it's all part of a new market, right? It's all part of, 
you know, like you were mentioning with Twitch before, and if anyone wants to draw any comparisons to other industries, it's like podcasts coming in. It's like Netflix getting around the Hollywood model. It's it's like YouTube these days as well. You know, how many YouTube channels have been made quite popular off iPhone videos, but at the same time, you've got YouTube channels use $30,000 with the camera equipment that also produce fantastic results. So there's not that, like you were saying before, um, eSports has a such lower barrier to entry as well, which makes it so enticing for people to jump in. And what I find is is that it makes it so enticing, I think, and, and I would like your opinion on this, to an angel and seed investor market as well, because it doesn't take a lot of dollars to break into this industry. If you want to own the next, um, let's take a, a smaller sport like the National Basketball League here in Australia, the NBL. Even if you want to own an NBL team or a portion, it takes a significant amount of capital and, and quite a wealthy person to bankroll something like that. But if you want to own 30% of a tier two esports team in an emerging in an emerging, in an emerging industry like Australia or, or uh, Malaysia or somewhere like that, it's not a significant amount of capital. It's realistic that someone who saved up some money as a professional can invest personally into that space. Yeah, yeah, I think you're definitely right. It it is easy to make an investment in esports, but coming from my point of view, with a background in investments, is you want the right money. You know, there's easy money, there's fast money, there's bad money, there's good money, there's the right money. Mm. The right money to me means that it's an investment and an ongoing partnership. Whether that's mentoring, whether that's ongoing consulting as to what the organization's doing it's very similar to what playside under the banner of the private investment arm 2050 venture partners is doing was doing with big esports and what i was doing as part of that organization which Mm. is to provide that ongoing support identify the weakness uh, you know and try and amplify the strengths so for anyone out there who was, you know, considering an investment in esports, you know, I flip it back on to you. You know, what can you do to help the organization you want to invest in? What parts of your network can you share with your potential investment to help grow their business? What value add do you have? It's a concept which you see in the startup, you know, sector anywhere, which is if you're a good startup, everyone's trying to throw money at you. But you flip it over and say, how can you help me? Mm. And that's part of the reason why you know, big, successful venture capital firms have those existing networks. They'll have specialists in industries who can provide that ongoing consulting. You know, a friend of mine who works in venture capital up in Sydney told me that you know, about half of her day is spent looking at new opportunities. A quarter of her day is spent asking questions and talking to her portfolio. And I think that was a key in the value add for good money and the right money is spending the time and being helpful. You know, you definitely don't just want to take some money off, you know, a couple of blokes who will turn around in three months and be like, well, what's going on? What's the progress? Mm. What have you done for me? Is my money worth more now? That's the wrong kind of investment. Mm. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. And and we've seen that happen a lot in Australia, um, even more so or, or more publicly or more publicly available information but it than globally. But it is also happening globally with, you know, Team Liquid, they their parent company, Axiomatic, participated in the Walt Disney Startup Accelerator in twenty seventeen, which is obviously, you know, fantastic array of contacts. There's been, you know, some Australian startups who've recently gone overseas to participate in, in different 
um, accelerators over there. In Australia, we've seen you know a rather large prominent company in Bastion investing in our team of avant-garde as well. And that's fantastic because Bastion have contacts into the traditional industry. They're a massively successful company with multiple arms, so they can provide that structure, as you were saying before, as well as they're a media company and a sponsorship agency, so they can start reaching out to their current portfolio. Yeah. So I guess expanding on that as well, you know, and this is something that we've done a bit of work with, what what position do you find uh, agencies sitting in the market, whether it be media agencies, whether it be PR agencies or such? Because there's a lot that are, you know, if you if you if you take the what the media is talking about, a lot of agencies are struggling right now. The bigger ones are buying the smaller ones, etc. So, how do you think agencies can use esports to their advantage? Well, yeah, I think to go back to the media industry, yeah, look, it's a mature market. You had a sort of renaissance period with the introduction of digital marketing, but what that also brought was clarity in numbers and accountability. You know, my understanding of media is not as complex as a lot of other people. But in terms of pricing media space, it's pretty clear to me that the only way in which media agencies are really able to make money outside of providing a direct ROI result from campaigns is through pricing the grey. So that's pricing TV or that's pricing live events. So with digital has become, has, you know, you've seen a reduction in that grey pricing model, which is why you're seeing a lot of them struggle. Um, In terms of how they can be a part of esports, to me, it directly relates to the influencer and content scene. So PR agencies and their influencer work or media agencies in, you know, hiring influencers for campaigns Mm. that's the direct comparison right now and it's a couple of organizations who we work with at shade it's what they're doing is they're providing us you know flow we're providing access to a multi-channel network with a niche audience with tailored organic content Mm -hmm. Uh, and it goes all the way from you know a standard video shot over your phone you know, for 30 seconds to, you know, a two-minute well-produced professional video. And by leveraging the fact that there's a specialty audience created by an organization like Shade, you know, media is having a lot of the done work, work done for them. And so that's how they would be able to integrate with this industry right now. Mm. So I guess we've, you know, over this space we've talked about um, traditional finance markets. We've talked about finance intersection intersecting with esports, some trends in the industry and such. But I guess going drilling down to you personally and and working in a esports startup now. So it's quite common uh, for me anyway that that people are trying to move from traditional markets into working in esports. It's something that you know we've actually created an online course to tailor towards people because we're getting so many inbounds about that. So what's the what's the pacing like first off for you coming from a traditional finance market into an esports startup? What are some of the major differences? from your day to day yeah look you can split that into two things it's moving from a developed organization into a startup you know it's a lot of it's a big yes culture here it's what can i do to move forward and having no red tape to cut through like i used to have at my old organization uh but in terms of specifically you know other professional industries you know, professionals looking into esports, it's yeah, identifying where your value add is. 
You know, if you're a media professional coming in, is it in media valuation? Is it developing the network? Is it the digital strategist role? Or you know, if you're coming in from a finance background, is there is there a management role for you? Is there structure that can be brought to an organisation? Just remember, a mm. lot of these organisations are in their infancy, right? Yeah, yeah. No, very true. Yeah, very true. So I guess let's you know let's wrap up from there and, and talk about the market as a whole. So. You know, how would you how would you summarize the esports market in Australia right now? If you were to give an elevator pitch to you know investment company that's looking into the space, are there any areas that are severely underdeveloped? Any areas that are majorly oversaturated? Yeah, look, that's a tough one. I would say that the esports market in Australia is in its hyper growth phase. I think that there is a big disconnect between where the top is. And where the majority of the industry is and where the bottom is and I would say that there's a big gap to be filled and so in that you'll see a number of organizations position themselves in different areas whether it's a new team coming in whether it's someone trying to be an events company whether it's someone trying to create an influencer network like us you know it's it's trying to develop these ideas and see which one's going to be successful. You know, we've got a number of irons in the fire at the moment, you know, with Big Esports as the consultant and the events company and with Shade. So we're doing our best to ring fence the part of the industry which we think is going to be valuable. Uh, but it, it all comes with time. You know, the things that are the areas which are well developed at the moment may not be the industry leaders you know, in the next 10 years. So as new models and new flexible you know, conditions present themselves, you just need to be there to take the opportunities. And that's where a lot of the money on the sidelines at the moment has an advantage, but also a risk. You don't want to miss getting in at the bottom. Yeah, I think and I agree. I think a lot of it is about finding not only what value you can provide to the market, but a combination of what is the market missing, what does the market need to grow, and how can you put yourself in that aspect? Because it's not about taking market share away from others because there's no point in taking 10% of you know, 100,000 or a million dollar market because you're, end, you're ending up with not much at all. So how can you grow that market and take that share as you're growing it at the same time? And how can you do something a bit different to the other people? And it goes back to you know, what we were talking about before with, you know, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with investing in a team. However, my question to these investors are, are you sure that's where you want to go? And do you want to be the 15th team investor in this market? Do you want to, you know, do you have value you can provide in somewhere different, whether it's mid, whether it's media, whether it's influencers, you know, whether it's player development, whether it's esports in schools or, or growth of, of the space and things like that too. So for anybody listening as well, you can make sure to head to bigesports.gg forward slash 28. That's the numbers 28, where you can get any of the topics we've talked about today, along with timestamps and any relevant links. But James, where can uh, people connect with you online if they want to get in touch and talk about investment in esports? Yeah, yeah, of course. So you can get in touch via my LinkedIn, which is James Bryce Lind on LinkedIn. Uh, it's pretty simple. Or my email address, james at bigesports.gg or for shade related inquiries james at shadecrew.com yeah fantastic so i guess our last question for you is you know where where do you want to see the market heading to what's your goal for for not only yourself but for the industry as a whole yeah so for the industry as a whole i would love to see it develop into a larger more inclusive pie 
I'd like to see teams figure out a way to monetize the content which they produce. You know, I think a big issue for these guys is that they're training six hours a day with players which are great at their games. But Mm. because of keeping team secrets to themselves, they don't monetize that content. I think that's that's a big area which needs to be reviewed for team owners out there. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of where I'd like to see our investments go and where you know our share of the pie, I'd really like to see where the shade journey takes us. You know, it, we, no one has. Well, let me rephrase that. You've seen high-level celebrities like Drake and Justin Bieber, Meek Mills come in and play Fortnite. Ben Simmons is another one, you know, on the occasion, but mm. you haven't had. Your traditional influencers like the Angry Dad crew, Mitch Orville, Dylan Orville, um, or other traditional influencers moving in and creating ongoing gaming-related content. You know, these are funny blokes coming in and trying to apply their humor to the gaming industry. I mean, a lot of these guys, traditional athletes, musicians, they all play games, mm. but they're not traditional gamers. So... The idea of what we're doing is trying to bring gaming-related content to the mainstream, saying, hey, you're not going to have your gaming audience on the right and the traditional audience on the left. Let's get in the middle of that and see how that grows. And I personally believe that that's going to be huge. Like, there's a lot of opportunity there. And, you know, from a personal standpoint, you know, I'd love to see that really... Yeah, exponential growth towards the back end of this year as we launch the Shade House. Yeah, I think you're right. And definitely, you know, touching on like what you were saying before is everyone's a gamer these days. I think Fortnite's been something that, you know, often gets discredited by people who might be hardcore esports fans, but it's done amazing things for the industry. It's mm. brought it's brought a whole new generation into esports and not even the fact of the kids playing, it's of their parents that now understand what it is. And, yeah. you know, when you're talking to people in traditional markets, often there's kind of two things that that open their eyes to esports. Number one is if they come to a live event, they're suddenly in. Any qualms they've had about the industry are are just gone. They melted away and they want to invest in the space. Or you talk to to them about Minecraft and Fortnite and they go, well, you know what? Actually, my kid plays Minecraft or Fortnite and every time that their friend comes over, they play it too. Maybe there is an industry here because Mm. it starts to unlock this section in their mind where they just push it away. You know, they, they, and you don't do that with footy. It's just become common knowledge that everybody in Australia at least has some understanding of the AFL and, and you kind of, you know, throughout school, you have to have a team whether you follow the game or not. So, you know, that's becoming the case with esports now where it's becoming front of mind to people. And, you know, it definitely goes back to some of the first questions I asked as well. And, and this is one thing I like to reflect on a lot is how do you make, how do you make esports as an industry important to the person you're talking to and how do you bring it to the front of their mind and, and what are the stages of that and what growth comes as, as part of that too. But James, thanks for joining us today. Obviously, you're already in the office anyway, so thanks for coming on in and um, yeah, thanks for answering some questions from quite a few different aspects for us. No, no problems, Chris. Happy to be here. And thank you for listening to this podcast. This has been episode number 28 with James, the VP of BDM from Big Esports. For those listening in, you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash 28. That's number 28. We can get access to any links to anything we've talked about today. As we discussed as well, we just released a teaser campaign for something coming soon. So make sure you check out our social medias because we will be working with a whole lot of new people and trying to introduce some new thinking into the industry. Thanks and bye for now. 
thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. Today's podcast and all of season one and season two has been brought to you by our sponsor, PLE Computers.